0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's share. Uh Tonight is Sheer number 80. We made it Menachem. Let's get real. Coach Benachem, Berenfeld program, and Baruch Hashem, we made it to this milestone. We're almost there. We're almost there. Again, I want to start off every week thanking everybody for really growing the platform and exploding and telling all the viewers for posting on the WhatsApp statuses, emailing people about it, the friends, Haverim. It's all Chavir Isloch and it's growing and it's a tremendous amount of people. And we really appreciate every one of you for letting people know about it. It's amazing. If anybody wants to join the WhatsApp group to get the flyer every Sunday so they could know about it, just WhatsApp me personally at 848 525 848-525-0066, and say my number, and I will send you every Sunday the flyer, and you can post it around. For all those watching the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button and click on Menachem's subscribe button, so every week when the, when the video goes up on Monday morning, you'll get it. I want to first start off with thanking all of our advertising sponsors. A special thank you to the Lakewood Scoop for here on Lakewood for promoting us. Special thank you to Rabbi and Yif for Chazak for promoting us on all the Chazak stations. And a special thank you to Chayla Kalfel and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us on all the digital platforms. The Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links can be found in the email show notes. I said that with a lot of enthusiasm, by the way. Again, for all the people watching this for the first time, it's every Sunday night at 9:30 on this Zoom ID. We have many different abbonim, therapists, different topics, and tonight, Rabbi Glassman, you are uh, you we we're going—we're going deep tonight. I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, next week, Mitzvah November 21st. It's not 100 confirmed because we're waiting to hear back from London. Uh, we're going to have Mitzvah two world famous. Rebbez Mechanchin, Masters of Chassidus, Reb Yanki Tversky from Muncie, New York, and Mordechai Twersky from London, two brothers. This is Reb Michal Tversky from Milwaukee's sons, Reb and Twersky's brothers. We'll be discussing bringing warmth and love back into Yiddish Sky with our children and giving them the chinuch of depth. So it should be a very uh, deep program. Hopefully they both asking uh, to come and uh, Reb, Reb Mordechai in London is willing to wake up at 2.30 in the morning to uh, be Machazakas. So uh, we're waiting to confirm that. And it's going to be an amazing program, so please let people know about it. And it should be really uplifting for everybody. And tonight we have the Schuss, and honor of having world famous mechanim with us tonight, Reb Glassman, now on with and we'll get back to him in a minute. Let's uh, let's get into it. First, I want to say hi, Chana Parnas. Hello, how are you? And I also want to give a great shrach and hakadosh baruch hu, for the amazing news last week. I did a shidduch; with my oldest daughter got engaged to the nicest boy, Tovia Milstein from Cleveland, Ohio. So big mazel tov! And, uh, such amazing, and Mark and Holly Muslim from Cleveland, such amazing people. Um, and we're inviting everybody in the Coach Menachem Show, all 20,000 people, to be by the waking, w- wedding in Lakewood on December 30th. Come mm-hmm. uh, um, Enjoy it. Everybody's welcome to come. What we're going to do is coach Zoom live. We're going to have all the Shiram together combined. But uh, let's start with our host, Coach Menachem Berenfeld, Shlita, to open it up with tonight's very, very powerful topic.
0: Shkorech. Yes, tonight's topic is is uh, is powerful. But before we start, I do want to give uh, a Mazel Tov to the ganze partners mishpacha. Bar Hashem, they made a shidich and they should be zeiche. Hashem should help, just like He helped till today. He should continue to help, and uh, mitzvah Hashem, the uh, shaltoy mitzlahes, mitzvah should be a beautiful chasana.
1: Nacham, please send to everybody the charity uh, link afterwards.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> tonight's topic. Is you know if, if you you'll only be able to see the emails that we got, talking about um, our our the way we grew up and the moistures that we went to, and um, there are many people that it didn't work out, and there's a lot of people that went through pain, and uh, the relationship between the, the 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 schools and their kids did not work out, and uh, you should see the emails that we got. Uh, <laughs> It, it, there's, there's people that never they, they made through whatever journey they had to go through, which is, is not an easy one. But before before we start tonight's program, I do want to say that we're not here to, to knock any systems. and uh, the truth is that the moist has, got, has gotten much better. whether it's the education, um, for um, individual education for kids, they're, they're trying. Uh, again, we'll hear tonight. They, they can't do everything but they're trying. And to get um, more education for the teachers, and uh, I'm, I'm, I myself, I'm in a school during the day, and I see um, the, the, what they give over, and it's, it's, you could see a difference from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could see the difference. The Mechachem are really, really um, trying to give whatever they can, but again, there's no, there's no two the same. Uh, you know you have, you have some, some sometimes you have the feeling that you just want your child to just participate, do what you need to do just follow and why do we need to have all of this in our heads? you know just do what everybody else does and that's on one hand on the other hand you want your child to be creative and to have a mind on his of his own and he should, he should be alive. So the question is how does it work together you have a moisted, which you have 25, hopefully it's only 25, Trade is much more sometimes in the class, and you want the ever to be individual uh, attention to each child, whatever they need, which even at home with uh, fewer kids can be a, a challenge, and the, and the Rebbe and the moist. So Bar tonight we have with us Rabbi Fran Glassman, which has many, many, many years of experience, and uh, what comes to him uh, on his desk, on a daily basis, I believe tonight we'll be able to get some of the answers. But I know there are many parents out there that they want to get all the answers tonight. Maybe we'll see, but we should have a the and we should be able to take out to get what we need to hear so that it should help us, our kids, and mitzvah and Doris. And it should be with a lot of Atzloch,
1: Amen. This is a beautiful opening. Um again again tonight's overview of the Shir. What we're talking about tonight is really the Kinnak system and people that have different issues with it and people that have their own struggles. And again, questions or you know, whatever. We're going to try it again. It's general. We're not solving anybody's one specific problem. Everything is very unique. Um, I have to admit to Glassman, we did have over the, the course of the 80 year before the 79 shirim before you, anytime it came to the system, or this and that it was always shut down because that's something that nobody wants to touch. So uh that you're uh, Opening this, and it's a very important topic. I have to tell you, I think this is probably from the second or third most emails I've ever gotten for a share. So there's definitely a lot of talk about this. Everybody has their own um thing, which we'll get into tonight, Mr. Shem. And um, again, I just want to mention Menachem is writing a book. We're still writing share one through 40. Every glass one will be, Mr. Shem will be in book number three, hopefully in 2025. So uh hopefully the, 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 the information will still be relevant then. But anybody who wants to be part of it or help, please uh, email coachmanachem uh, For that, number one. And also, I'm going to learn tonight's share for the same, from, the, from the same school from last week. Tonight's show, we're we'll for Menashe Chanoch Ben Rezel Shalamas for success in every endeavor, Baruch Nis Lam for all the hundreds of people that are going to be here tonight and the thousands of people that will listen to this later on. So for this person, I'm going to read River Fine Glassman's bio the best of my ability, and then we'll uh, we'll get into that. Okay, Reverend Glassman is the Manala of Masifta in Brooklyn, the founder and dean of Talmud Torah R' Moshe and connected Masifta Bikaras Moshe in Brooklyn. During his summer months, he spends the Manala camp or Shraga, camp where he's home to several hundred Bachim for across the United States of America. In other capacities, he's dealt, he's dealt with over a thousand men and women Bachim that have been suffering from various levels of different uh, mental health issues, ranging from ranging from very minor to very severe. The, on the course of his work, Reverend Glassman noticed that the average person is in need of help non-professional guiding them to seek to experience a large amounts of confusion a lack of information and understanding various emotional health issues and how therapy works for them. Again, that's the therapeutic part, which we're not so much going to talk about tonight, but it could be it'll come up. But it's we're having Rabbi Fram Glassman with us here tonight, the floor is yours. to be honest,
2: I haven't done this before and I really didn't follow the show, so I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I guess there's a first for everything, so we'll try. You'll, you'll keep me guided as we go, okay? So I'll just give a little bit of a brief introduction as to why this topic came to mind and, um, and why it's, I think, something of utmost importance. Because like uh, Rebasha said before, we deal with it day in, day out. We only talk about it when it gets very, very difficult. And at the time that we're ready to talk about it, it's pretty, pretty far down the line, usually. And it's something where you'll be at a simchol, you'll be at a, 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 a vacation, you'll be anywhere in the ball in the circle, it's always a central topic, and there's more than more than enough to say about any place and every place and every yeshiva and so on and so forth. And the question is, what are we supposed to do with this? The system. The system, and talking about the system, is a very sensitive topic. Now, you may think it's a sensitive topic because there are no answers. You may think it's a sensitive topic because um, No one wants to shoulder the blame and everybody would rather shift it to somewhere else. But I I think that it's really a sensitive topic because it's one that's fraught with a tremendous amount of pain. Imagine a person has his most cherished belonging. It's his child. We would give everything away for our children. It's something that means more to us than anything else in the world. And to watch that end up with some level, even a minor level of disappointment, let alone slipping, let alone going very far, let alone not coming to anywhere close that, we dreamt, that we, we dreamt when he was still that little baby. To watch the children suffering through the system that you've watched watching your own child go to school every day knowing he doesn't really have a chance to make it. I hope he'll survive it. Who knows what this will mean to him in the future? Is nothing less than torture a lot of the time. Now it's true that for those that are successful in, this, in, in, the, in, in, in the system, and there are many of those, you can go through the system easy sailing, I think it's the best. I think today we wanna to try to address those that are struggling. And let me tell you those that are struggling, they're not limited to those that are challenged in some academic area. The top boys, the elite as we call them, even though I don't like identifying people in levels, but what we're gonna to refer to as what people call the elites have their lion's share of struggles as well. It may not be so obvious on the on the surface because they're walking the walk and talking the talk. But if you know what's really happening inside of the emotional front of the, and it and, and, and goes through their lives what they have to put up with, it's not easy, far from it. But I wanna first address the pain part. Pain has a benefit to it, but it has a danger to it also. For starters, I feel very uncomfortable talking tonight to people that may be in a tremendous amount of pain. And if somebody is to suggest to somebody who's in pain an alternate explanation, an alternate approach, it's really not sensitive. It could sound cold. It could sound almost ruthless. To tell the person that the pain that you've gone through is something which is quasi-questionable, negotiable, could be dealt with this way or that way. How can you take someone who's riding in pain and tell them, uh, you know, even to minimize it the slightest? To tell someone to accept that, to move past it, to make the best of it, is adding more pain to injury. The last thing Khalilah would want to do. And the truth is, this in and of itself really makes the entire evening tonight with some level of trepidation. I'm afraid to hurt people. And I'm gonna ask you before I start that I I look at it somewhat as the Katsala member that comes to the call and he sees the fellow on the floor that that was hit by a car and Leilain, who is bleeding and he's in pain, and he starts to cry and says, That person must be so much pain, and I don't wanna move him because he says such pain. He can't help, you can't help someone when you're going to feel the pain at the excruciating level that it is. Obviously, we have to recognize it, we have to be it and it is, and there's no underestimating the depth of the feeling that, it goes, that comes along with it. No underestimating. But I think we wanna be able to re- recognize the situation and be able to move forward in some way, shape or form to be able to make the best of our lives their our children's lives. When there's so much pain, it's hard to hear that there's another side. When there's so much pain, it's very hard to deal with those that are in charge that we perceive as those that are inflicting the pain and be able to deal with them in a way that can actually be productive. The highly charged emotions automatically come out. The other party gets defensive and the pain ends up being the catalyst that doesn't allow things to follow to the place of the most healthy um, uh, dealing with it later on. Very often the pain ends up being shared with the child himself, and he becomes even more victimized. And as much as we can't hold it in, it hurts the child to be viewed and to be seen as a victim at that level. We have to be able to acknowledge and empathize with him, but at the same time, not to weaken him and to give him the strength to be able to get through this. And maybe last but not least, when there's so much pain, it brings tightness, it brings cautious, it could even come to the point where it could weaken our own Yiddishkeit chalila, because we look at what we're supposed to aspire to, what we're supposed to respect, and we have strong questions, strong um, tightness How could you do this? How could you run that kind of a system? I think I'd like to put out there something that could be the beginning of, of, of a comforting feeling that can get us to the point that we should be able to overcome this hurdle that's created by the pain that we didn't choose. And that is as follows. Chazal tell us that Al If a person has tsar, has pain, and because of that, he has kashis, because of that, he doesn't do what he's supposed to, because of that, he, he ends up making ill-fated decisions. His responsibility level goes down tremendously. And Chazal doesn't have a tain on him. Why did you do this or that? When you, were, when you were in a matzav of tzar, when you were in a situation of pain. And the Chesim explains that when a person is in pain, his mind becomes confused. When a person is in pain, he calls it Bilbul hadas. I can't think clearly. I can't see clearly. I can't make decisions clearly because of the pain that I'm in. And if that's the case, there's no time on the person because we took away his mind when the pain came. The problem is, that precisely when that pain is at its hardest and most powerful point, that's when we need our seichel the most. When a child is coasting through school, that's fine. We don't need to be on our game at that point as much, but the moment the child is in pain, and we're in pain because the situation is not working, we need to have a tremendous amount of precision in our action. We need to be able to know a good plan of what we're doing to help him. That's the time our mind has to be the clearest. That's the time we have to be the most on top of what's happening. That's the time we need the most confidence and calmness in our lives. And therefore, the pain take, removes that. To the best of our abilities, we want to be able to come to the point that we can undo that. We can do come to the place where, despite the pain, we can hold on to our seichel. Despite the pain, we can see clearly. And despite the pain, we have to come up to a plan B to manage the situation in the best way possible. I want to give a little bit of a perspective about the system to um, maybe to bring down or to soften the blow a bit. There's a lot of talk out there. You write an article against the system. It'll be highlighted quite, quite quickly. You talk about it, people have, have, have sympathy. But if you ask yourself this question, who made this system? Who created the system? We have a system, of school system, we have a shidduch system, we have a a covet system, we have an honor system. We have all kinds of systems that are going around in our society. You ever ask yourself who designed it? I think I'm quite confident that no one designed it. It happened. As a matter of fact, it's different than any other period in history that preceded this. There was never a time in history where every child had to go to a and yeshiva. There was never a time in history that everybody had to be so similar to each other. There was never a time in history where the children were up to such disayunas that our generation is facing. There was never a time in history where the Yiddishkeit was as shallow and that the connection was so um, um, weak compared to what they lived through once upon a time. The struggles that we're struggling with today, from the top to the bottom, from the strongest to the weakest, something we didn't see in the past. It happened. We know that the one who designed it was a Kodesh Nothing happens randomly. Nothing happens by itself. Nothing that happens to Kal is by, is, is by chance. And the second thing I think we know is, at least I don't know of the person, there's no one person that can change the system. Can I know how Yisrael grew? There Yisrael There's so many Kehillahs, so many uh, different um, places and situations that it's not something that's just going to happen by one of us on this call, definitely not by me. And therefore, if we think that the only way we can survive and we can thrive and we can succeed is by changing the system, then we may be barking up the wrong tree. Want to add one more thing to understanding the system. There's a good reason why the system developed this way. The system developed this way because of the needs that caused it to develop this way. And it's not the leaders of the specific maistas that created this system, but society created this system. Every person is part of this creation. I know many, many rabbeim and yeshivas, uh, teachers that run girls' schools, and uh, hanhalas and principals and the rashi maestas that open maistas. They're putting in their messiah snefesh. They're trying to do the best that they can. You may tell me that they're not equipped to deal with some of the problems that we have today, but they're doing the best they can. It's extremely difficult to run a moises. I'm telling you from the inside and from the outside, extremely difficult. It's impossible to do it with anything less than Monsieur Establish. Think about how hard it is to run a home with a couple of children. Multiply that by 100. And just like you see in your own children, differences, difference in needs from one to the other, imagine doing that by the hundreds that we have. Can I maybe up to thousands. If you think you can do a better job running the mice, the floor is open. No one stopped anybody from opening the mice. If you didn't open it, it's because you realize that it's difficult to do it. It's difficult to penetrate the system. It's difficult to survive in the system. There are many people that have tried to open up maistas that were different than the regular system. I know many. Many, many of those didn't succeed to last that many years. Others had to change their mandate pretty soon if they wanted to survive. Keeping a mice running within the system is a question of survival. We'll talk about this as we go through some of the questions, Ritz Hashem. It's very easy on the outside to say that this should change or that should change. Now, I'm not looking here to defend the system. I'm looking to look at the system, to understand the system, where it came from. The the needs, be it the competition, be it the phone calls, every Moist is, 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 is fighting for its own survival. Every school is judged by the audience. The audience is who creates the fundamentals of the school Every school is required to be able to attract its feet. We know that if we see something wrong in a school, it goes around very quickly, and the school can lose its level, can lose its, its ability to attract, and people jump to the next one very, very quickly. Tell someone who has a good, uh, 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 a smart, academically advanced student. I want you to come to my school, which serves Yiddishkeit so well, but the boys do jump around, we tolerate the ADHD kids, and, and if a boy is slipping, we don't, we don't move him so fast. Are we all ready to say that we'll send our best children to those schools? Are we ready to say that we would tolerate our child who wants to do more to be in a class with somebody else that's disturbing him? Or are we gonna say that the minute it's not surviving for what we need, we're gonna throw the school under the bus. It's, been ha- it's happened so many times. It's happened so many times to well-meaning people that got burnt by trying to be the good one. And the same people that judged them didn't go. So I don't think that we can set, throw everything onto the schools. Most schools today, whether we like it or not, are privately owned. Unless you're part of a kahila that's out of town, or if you're part of a Hasidis where the Hasidis has to take care of their own. Most schools are privately owned, which means that their future is at risk. And their demise could be at any given point. The next school opens and draws their crowd away. Most of what the schools are offering, if it's too much, is done as a way to be able to keep the place together. The crowd created the systems much more than those that they help, and those that are doing it are having Mr. establish to be able to continue to keep it alive. We have to be able to look at it in a perspective from both angles, and see how we're going to bridge the two. There's no question that every Reish Maison wants his children to be matzliach. And there's no question that every parent wants his children to be matzliach. We have to be able to make that bridge. Um,
1: there's a little bit more to go, but I think maybe we'll stop for some what questions mean? and we'll leave the rest at the end. Is that okay, Rabbi should... Glassman, that was home run woke. It's okay. I think so I think you right. answered everything and I'm definitely not opening my mindset. I'm just confirming with it. <laughs> no, you're welcome. The floor is open. And I, I know people that open my I talk to them every day. They're literally killing themselves. There's no question. They're killing themselves. glass okay. for the <laughs> the and let's get into it. There's so many questions. I, I okay. think the questions will bring everything out. So let, let's let's just jump into it. Okay, I'm going to give you a one minute break. We're going to take a poll. Lilium's going to answer and let's get a feeling and then we'll jump into it. Okay, two questions. Here we go, everybody. When you had a personal struggle in the school system, and you, and you brought it up to the staff. How did, to the staff, do you feel, A, they would you were would taken serious, and they would try to do anything, like I gotta make it larger, can't read it, it's a long answer. They, um, they would try to do anything to, to help you. Did you feel like that with your moisture when you had a problem with your child? B, they tried, but really wouldn't budge on what was necessary for my child. Or C, ignored, they said, it's your problem, not ours. Those are the three questions, so everybody. Based on your experience that you've, I mean, I'm sure everybody who had a kid that went through Moses system had had something that they had to reach out to the school. So this is a great question for anybody who went through that. I'm curious what, what they would answer. And then the second question is: if there was something specific you would you would want to see change, what would it be? First, first answer is the school should be flexible with all rules that fits for my child. That that would be amazing. I want to go to that school. The second option is more training for teachers around BAM to understand today's challenges in, in today's generation. Or number three, don't try to fix it because the loss will be greater than the gain. So if you try to do one thing good that will change it, you understand there's always going to be a backlash for that. So those are the two questions. I think they're unbelievable questions. And I would like everybody to answer it. It's anonymous. And then we're gonna review what everybody answered. And Rabbi Glassman, we're gonna jump straight into questions. Again, before we do that, I just want everybody to know the Zerkhate Rabbi Glassman here, somebody who's an expert in this for years. Rabbi Glassman confirming that you did not create the system. Is that correct? What no, 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 no. Confirming? <laughs> and all the problems that were not created by you. Am I correct? Kids, uh, all for sure not, no. <laughs> okay, five seconds, let's end the poll and then let's jump into it, ready? Five, four, three, two, one, here we go. And so now we're gonna share with everybody. Okay, first question, when you feel, when you had a personal struggle in the school system for your kid and you brought up to the staff, how did you feel they dealt with it? 33% of people said they were taken serious, they would try to do anything to help you, which is a very high number. 42% said they try, but really wouldn't budge what's necessary for my child. 24% ignored. It's your problem, not ours. glassmen. pretty split into three, if you see that. Yeah, but, but 24 is still a big percent for the bottom. Yeah.
2: That
1: hurts. Okay, second question. Second question is much more, uh, we're seeing something very clear over here. If there was something specific you'd like to see change, what would it be? So sle- only 11% say the school should be flexible with rules. That's fit for every child. So I think people realize that's not really an option. Eighty-six percent of people are saying more training for teachers and rabbis to understand today's challenge for the kids, and only three percent say don't fix it because the loss will be greater than the game. So uh, the second one's pretty clear. You can X the screen. We're going to start with a few questions that came in just to get warmed up. Again, anybody wants to ask question with glass Rubiklasz here with us tonight, please text Asher Parnas over here on the screen with your questions. Of course, the people that will go live, well, the questions will go first. Anybody text? We have a huge, huge list of questions over here. So, um, if you want to get on the list, because i But uh, let's let's ask live and let's 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 go. This is uh, something we really want to conquer tonight. Okay. okay. Um, let's start with the first question. Okay. First question I have here. It seems as though this is actually from a rebbe. It seems as though one of the, once the boys, once many boys reach the age of our mitzvah, boys with excellent middles, boys from the finest homes, they become unable to control their behavior in school. Nothing seems to penetrate their mindset of, "I'm in charge. No one can make me do anything. Not speeches from rabbis. No threats." Is there any hope? How can teachers witness the daily and not feel like their adults are part of the problem? Okay. So first of all, I think that there, there
2: are levels of that. So I'm, I'm I'm in a yeshiva. I don't I don't I can't say that I get that feeling from the boys that they're not ready to listen. I think um, if you talk about this and so on, they will they will get there. I want you to back up a second and, and and explain a little bit what's happening there and why they're they're becoming like that. And I also wanna say that many of those children, you should just know, by the time 10 years rolls around, they're gonna be very different. It's a stage that they go through. It's a stage when they start becoming adults, they, they, it comes from, they start learning, even they start being more successful, they start seeing the world more clearly, and they're still adding to their seho without the maturity that really comes along with it. And it's a regular adolescent behavior to think you know it all, you know, you learn two blot. Wow, I'm a Talmud Chacham. I know, I can say over a vark, so I'm, I'm somebody in the more yeshivish place. In the other place, I'm more athletic, so I'm, I'm, I am I'm, have what to be proud of. In another place, it'll be with his studies, whatever it's going to be. It's a natural, instinctive piece of a child getting into that adolescent stage where this happens. I'll say more so is, and um, I don't to get into trouble for saying this, but some people will tell you that in the more devout communities, we'll call it more yeshivish or more chassidish, it may be a bigger issue than in some of the more out-of-town communities. We tend to think that in the out-of-town communities the children are more, uh, are better behaved, so to speak. And I, again, I'm not going to label communities and say anything like that, but part of it is we are training them when they get to that age that you're special, you're by mitzvah, you have your tefillin, you have your chiyuvim, you're going to learn how to learn, you're going to come Chacham. We pump them with aspiration. We push them to do more. Part of the price that you pay for that is they take you seriously. And they'll think of what you're telling them, that message is really there. So when they're giving you the the, the negative side of the the arrogance or the, the bigotry, even possibly, what's really happening there is they're taking a good kayak that we've tried to imbue to them, and something that naturally happens at that stage in their life and they're just using it in the wrong place so what we have to try to do is bimkhalikh them and talk about it i think that we don't speak about midas enough and if we did we spoke about bimkhalikh more we spoke about midas it would it would take us a very very far way i think even more so if i could if i may say i said there was a teacher that asked this i think in general we tend to t- teach the children about midas or about being menshlich, when something bad happens, they um, got the English teacher fired. They're going to get a schmooze about their hurts. They uh, they, they threw things out the window. They're going to get a schmooze about um, um, why you're hurting other people. Um, they made a mess. They didn't clean up after themselves. And this message was, was a mess. They'll get a schmooze about cleanliness. What ends up happening is that the message doesn't penetrate so well because it's looked at as, yeah, of course you're giving us the schmooze. You need the job done. So you're using the Torah as your stick to get the job done. It goes a lot further if the Midas are taught as a separate thing in it itself. We learn Hilchus Shabbos, we learn Hilchas we learn Hilchus Tfilen, and Hilchas Midas is a halacha. Chavetz there are halachas that describe that. If we turn it into something of, 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 of godless, of aspiration, not just as usage, I think it'll take us a lot, a lot further. I also think that it's something which is not taught so much through a speech, but more through a consistent interaction. We have so many opportunities to bring the idea into play. You're learning Chumash, you're learning Halachas, you're interacting with the people yourselves. Um, the way that we conduct ourselves is a way of life. It's an attitude, it's a way of thinking. It's not, it's not so much of a behavior, which is totally in a behavioral manner. So what we have to do is we have to get them to understand this way of thinking. And a person adopts a way of thinking through his experience much more than he does through his um, listening to an explanation. And therefore, if we if we um, find opportunities to drop these hints, to drop these messages, several, several times a lesson, in little ways here and there, or, or wherever it comes out, that this becomes, especially the parashis that we're learning now, there's so much to talk about. And it became part of the limud, I think it would penetrate in a much stronger
1: way. And obviously there's more to say, but let's go to the next one. Okay, let's go some live questions everybody wants to ask live. We're getting tons of texts. Whoever wants to go live. You go first. You're first. Go. Let's go.
3: Good evening. Um, Irbe Glassman, is it possible that it's not the systems that are at fault here, but rather maybe parents who are not totally taking responsibility for what the reality is going on with their children?
2: Definitely there's no one person to blame and definitely parents have to do their part. That's not even a question. I think what what a lot of the the spirit of the questions are coming are even from very, very well-meaning parents, even parents who really did all they could and they took responsibility and they tried, but their son can't make it in the system that we have. And there's a tremendous amount of pain that's going on because here I did do that. Yes, you're right. A lot of the times it's coming from problematic situations, it's true. But a lot of it is there are many many parents who really give their life for their children. They try their best, but the child is hyperactive, or the child is dyslexic, or the child is um, 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 academically falling behind, or lacking some social skills, or 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 or, or has a, a an inkling to to to, um, to you know other parts of the world which are not um, acceptable in our circles. So I think that. It's true. Some, it's the parents' issue, but for very, very many, it's well-meaning parents that are really trying, but they just can't do it. My son can't handle yeshiva day from the age of 12 from 7 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, 13 hours in the building. He goes crazy. So there is definitely both ends of the spectrum, and it's true. Uh, But yes, for sure, I think every parent has to have an introspection to himself. And say, am I just passing the buck by blaming the school, or is it something that I can do differently? And I think that's something we should—we really ought to—to um, to ought to visit, especially, like I said before, that I think the parents, you know, have a big, big part in the way that we—the um, way the system became designed, because their demands and their interests also, also have a lot to do with how the school is going to react.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's go. There's so many questions
4: here. You wanna mute? There we go. Okay, you're on. Hi, so first of all, thank you so much. I enjoyed so far. And I have a question based on the first part of your introduction about um, the emotional pain piece. Mm -hmm. So it seems from the world that I live in, the people around me, that emotional pain is the least understood. And Chazal say, at least from what I understand, that it's the most painful kind of pain. And how can you help well-meaning people, friends, relatives, community, understand more what it is? And then it's a real thing, it's not made up. And it seems that the attitude is just let it go, just move on. They may not say it in words, but it's the overall feeling.
2: Let me, let, me, let me tell you like this. If, was so, if there was one person in history that um, endured enormous amount of pain in his life, it was probably Davra Melech. He look through te- Tehillim, he was captured, he was put down by his brothers, he was a shepherd. He, he had a, a, a life, he, he fought wars his whole life. He literally, his entire being was one piece of tsar. We look through Tehillim, we don't find that Davra Melech I don't want to use the word kvetched, but like he said, I can't deal with this anymore. We find it in one place. There's one place where David Melech says, tzarai, my, tzarai, my pain is just too great. How big is it? I can't handle it. And that was when his son Afshalom didn't turn out right. That was the one place that David Melech, above all, he was captured, He was he was tortured. He had all kinds of things that happened to him. He never complained about it until it came to this point. We see clearly that the pain for this, is unequal to anything else there's no question there is no question and i i definitely think that it's felt by a lot of people unfortunately if someone hasn't experienced it himself it could be hard to fathom the the level of what it is but i i think that the, the the difficulty in 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 being able to emphasize with people that have empathize with with people that have it is usually when there's a defense meaning if if somebody is coming to the yeshiva and complaining or asking for something and they're pulling out the card that my kid's gonna go to Derek and so on. So there's a, react, there's a reaction that happens there is that I don't wanna be pushed in the wrong place. I don't want my arm to be twisted. And therefore at those times I think is where the, the, um, maybe the insensitivity is seen and this stubborn rigidity and the inability to allow any level of flexibility comes across as so insensitive and almost ruthless. But I think when it's not in that combative position, everybody feels the pain. And everybody understands that this is something which is enormous. And um, I don't think there's a single person that's in the chinuch system that walks by a child that was once in the yeshiva and they see that now he's not doing well and he's not looking the same, and he's not acting the
1: same, and he's not happy, that doesn't feel his heart broken when he sees that. That's last one, let's go. Next question, you're on.
5: Let's go. Hello, Robert Malekham. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, as a school owner in Lakewood, your introduction was, uh, like Rabasha said, out of the park. Um, a question for you is, uh, I'm not an educator, so I can't speak of the, of the education part, but in today's uh, generation, today's uh, young people, how much, in, in your experience, how much do you Do they appreciate what the school does? And how much responsibility do they take as, quote unquote, being partners in the education of their children?
2: I think that there's a a diverse um, reaction from parents. You have those parents who think they have the answers and they're unhappy. You have the parents who know they don't have the answers and they're unhappy. The ones who have the answers want the school to do differently because they have the right answers. The ones that don't have the answer say, what do you want from me? I'm not the professional. You're the one that should know how to do it. So you should take care. Then you have those in the middle whose children are doing okay, and they're happy. So the, the, the answer is that whoever has the pain is going to think that the other person has, is, is the one at fault. It's just the natural instinct that we all are. We're humans. Um, as far as your question as who should take the response? How much do they really appreciate what's happening? I think it's, 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 it's a lot less than what's really happening, a lot less, a lot less. If, if, if people would understand what it means to run a school, how many different details have to go in to make it clock, to make it work, how hard it is for a Rebbe to sit in a classroom? And what, the expectation we have of a Rebbe is enormous. He has to be a Rebbe, a teacher, a, a counselor, a psychologist, a father, a, a, a disciplinarian, and, uh, and interesting, and an orator, and charismatic. We want everything from the Rebbe. And he's has to do all of that at the same time that he's teaching, and get to every last boy, and be able to be on top of his game. The rebbe are trying, they're trying very hard. What we're asking of a Rebbe, in all honesty, is an impossibility. The class is too large, the problems are too many. I've sat down with rebbe many times to help them go through their class, and so let's go take an inventory, who in the class needs help. Almost every child on the list needs something. At the same time, the Rebbe is focused 90% of his day academics. As soon as he's finished, the English teacher comes in. When does he have a chance almost to deal with anything? We're, di- we're, we're, we're giving them a task, which is mighty murder. They're trying their best. So is it, is it recognized? You have to really sit and think and try to figure out, You know how many times does a Rebbe, could even lose it at times because a boy got under his skin and under the pressure that he's under, do we give him the the, the, the understanding that he's human? Do we ask ourselves, do we have a loser with our children? don't have to answer. But, uh, but the, the idea is that we definitely have to give them a lot more slack and work with them. Now, they definitely are gonna be Rebbeim that are not equipped, 100%. For whatever reason you're going to say, they're not equipped, they don't have the talents, they don't have the, the, the know-how, and they may not even have the stamina and the cheshig at this point in their lives, it's possible. But for the most part, um, I think the Rebbeim are trying, trying very hard, and we, we definitely owe them a lot of recognition. And if we come to a Rebbe and there's an issue, and we ask, we, we first show him how much we appreciate it, and then say, but my child needs some extra or some different, you'd get a much, much better response than if you come in feeling that he's the problem.
0: Is there any way to make the gap closer, the, the moisture and the, the appearance? Maybe we can get them to sit around the table before the problem starts.
2: If you did it on Zoom, it would be a lot better, because when it gets heated, you can mute. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something which obviously has to happen, but you really need good faith on both sides to create an environment of safety, that there can be that level of trust and openness from both sides.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's a question that came in. My son is in a class where the Rebbe is extremely tough with him. My son is bright and expects um, him to do well on tests. I try to explain that he is not a good test taker. My son loves all his friends in the class, but doesn't have a Kesha with the Rebbe. How should I address it?
2: When you say he's not a good test taker, that could have various meanings to it. There are some children that are not good test takers because their processing skills aren't that good. There are some that have a hard time writing. There's some that have no patience to do it. And there are some that freeze up or get anxious when there are questions. So it it really makes a big difference as to why he's not a good test taker. It sounds here like we've assumed that taking the tests with some kind of a help or some kind of a way is not an option. Secondly is we're saying that the reason why he has no Kesha with the Rebbe is because he doesn't take tests, which is a question why that is, and we're saying the third thing is that the Rebbe expects him to take a test, it must be that he's a tough Rebbe. I think Rebbeim um, have to have standards, they have to demand, and if a Rebbe makes that a test in his class is nothing important, and if you're not interested, you don't have to take it. If I had to rewrite the script without being there, the boy probably doesn't listen that well when it's taught, and then when it comes to the test, he doesn't take it so seriously, and the Rebbe feels somewhat threatened that in the class, the test is being brought down at in, in, in a level, and he, the Rebbe probably thinks that the boy is pulling the wall over his parents and everybody else around them. He's going to show him There's There's a lot that has to be clarified, which could be clarified with healthy dialogue. And um, I think before we try to make peace with the Rebbe and the child, I think the parents and the Rebbe have to make peace. Let's get to the same place where we're not attacking each other. We have this 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 difficulty. Can we brainstorm together how we're going to get to the place that we have to get and start by prefacing by really trying to understand the problem before we look for the solution. It's not about how how many times do you twist the arm until it hurts enough for him to do the test. A child that can do well on a test would want to take a test. It's a good feeling to do well on a test, especially as a bright boy, he knows the material. Why would he want to do it? So there's something there that's in the way. So let's try to figure out what's in the way. Then let's think what we can do about it. Then let's sit down with the Rebbe and have a discussion where we acknowledge what he's doing. And we make peace with him ourselves, which is easier for adults to make shalom sure bias than for a child to do it. And then let's see what we really need to do for the child, because I'm not so sure that giving him a free ride and telling me that the Rebbe should just acknowledge he doesn't take tests is necessarily the best thing for him. So it's really specific. You need to go through all those uh, points. Who's
0: supposed to be on top of this? Is the council of the school, the Manal, the Rebbe? There's a lot of work to do behind the, behind the class. You know?
2: Yes. I, I, I think I find that. When the parents come across um, with their cheres and hakaras Sataif, the rebbeim are more than willing to talk to them. The ones who get sidelined and the ones who clicked ignore. I can't say all the time because sometimes the problem is so big that they, they don't know how to deal with it and it ends up being there. But a lot of the time, is there, there. became a rift between the rebbe and the parent before they had a chance to even see each other and have and have a discussion about it. The kid says some story. So that happened in the class. I heard the other kid in the carpool said, yeah, that's really what's happened. And we already start twisting or, or tainting our view. And then it leads to automatically giving off certain vibes, which escalates the problem. We, I'm not saying the Rebbe's right. <laughs> very, very, very often it's not the case. But let's first um, 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 get to a place that we have a working relationship, a respectful relationship, and then let's try to do this together. Through piece by piece. Now, very often you'll need somebody at a professional level to try to ascertain what the issue is. But a lot of times, two good people working together be ennis,
1: can bring out a lot of good. All right, we've got some shit. That was great. Okay, there's so many more live. Let's go. You're on live.
7: Uh, this is a two
2: part question. Um, first of all, is it fair to say that nowadays
0: there's a there's the parents, there's the rabbi and then
2: there's the the kid himself. Is, is that a question? Who, um, who, who do you want to take out? The Rebbe? So, 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 so it's not really a question. It's really leading up to the second part. You mean, I think, I, I understand what you mean. You mean, do we, do we, do we um, put the child as somewhat responsible? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think as follows, you know, there are different um, places in the world which are treated differently. For example, let's say a person is coming to a, a show or a concert. So what's the, what's the job of the person that's attending? He has to book a ticket, he has to pay for it, he gotta get some transportation to the, to the venue where it's being shown, he has to get through security, he's gotta get to his seat, get some popcorn, sit down, and now he did his part, the rest, is the, is the the producer, whoever's, whoever is, is, is supplying the entertainment has to supply the rest. You go to medical school. If somebody goes to medical school and he comes out and he wants to be a doctor and he has to pass his, uh, his, his, his exams and so on, and he says, well, listen, I came every day. I did my part. I don't know anything at the end because I was dreaming, because I was sleeping, because I was doodling, but so what? I, I came. I did my part, and I paid, I paid tuition for the teacher to, to teach me. I don't think anybody's going to that surgeon for surgery um, just because he was there. Mm-hmm. Now, when you send a child to Yeshiva, are you sending him to the entertainment show where your job is finished, the boy's job is finished when he comes to the classroom? Or are you sending him to a place where we don't give entertainment here, we offer, um, we offer lessons, you can take it over little Now, there's no question that once upon a time, of the achrayis was on the child. No question. There's no question that today's days, between all the articles that have been written, we're shifting much, much more. We may be even almost 90% in the other direction. They say a difference between, once upon a time, a boy came home from Cheder. His father asked him, so does your Rebbe like you? Today, a child comes home from Cheder. Do you like your Rebbe? That's the difference that we're, we, we are subconsciously implanting that. And to read the articles about what the Rebbe should be doing and how many courses he should be taking and and, and, and all the Tainas about the people writing about what he didn't do and the anger that we have towards the ones who messed up and so on. What we're well, really giving the message to the child is, you go for entertainment, his job to get you going. When a Rebbe is popping a god, preparing a, a lesson and, and, and teaching, and all we could do when the kid comes home knowing nothing is say, I think it'd be a little warmer, you know, he'd be able to reach him. Very nice to say that, but you know, is, the, is that the case, or is the job of the child? So no question in the world. For the tzlacha of the child, the more is that he carries, the more responsibility he carries by himself, the more he'll take out of the lesson. A superstar rebbe that has all kinds of talents is able to turn on children who came in as spectators and turn them into students that actually put their effort in. The job, the, the responsibility once upon a time of chinuch was that the child comes in and the Rebbe teaches. That's the way it always used to be, and that's the way the parents uh, expected it, and that's what we always did. Today it shifted, and believe me, if there's one thing that we're suffering for most in the system, I, I may say that that's what it is. The children come in feeling entitled to, um, <clears throat> I have to like my Rebbe, asking ourselves, how many times do we ask our child, do you like your Rebbe? Is it Gishmak? Was it Gishmak a day today? Did he say a good story? Was there something else happening? What you're really telling the child is, that you're the one that's going to give the rate for the Rebbe, you know. Well, you'll decide how much Hanukkah tip he deserves. It's it's a certain mentality that has shifted, which is a korban. There's no question. How to do it is not going to be by telling your son you're responsible necessarily, but it's by interacting with him with the Rebbe. Is special. If you have the opportunity to be in the Rebbe's class. You need to utilize that opportunity to come back with something, for sure. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's. I want to cover a few more. I have a bunch of questions I really want to cover. I have a glass. We can put a little in for that. Okay. What are your thoughts? It, it says first grade, but let's just globalize. What are your thoughts on a on a student who doesn't want to listen to the teacher and she acts up and the teacher sends her out to calm down? What is something else that can be done? And what can the system do with her outside to recognize that she's disturbing the class besides trying to catch her doing well, which she's already tried? Like, a the first part of the question is are the kids like not behaving and like making noise. The only option we have is just throwing them out. Is there any other thing we can do? And B, when the child is out, how do you, like, let her recognize the reason why she's out is because of the way she's behaving? It's like saying, um, could you just tell me quickly,
2: how do you do heart surgery? Mm-hmm. Just quickly, the kids are like, how do you just do that? You're, um, you're asking me the, you the insurance of card. You got the insurance card. You're asking me the essence of teaching. Teaching is not a technique that you follow steps A, B, C. Every child is different. Every situation is different. Generally speaking, I'll give you a little bit of general. But generally speaking, a child doesn't want to be make trouble. Child doesn't want to be sent out. And if they're doing it, there's there's some kind of a reason that's underlying there. Um, and um, especially at a young age, if it's if it's some type of a of, of a of a uh, you know a lack of development in some area, not necessarily is the classroom the place for it. You really have to see, decide is the is a child too bored? Is a child missing social skills? There could be so many different things that are happening there that it's it's not good. The, the problem with sending a boy, out of, sending a child out of class is that you can do that eight to once, twice. He's gonna get used to it. The principles have nothing to do with him. It's gonna end up being a solution that doesn't really work for much because it may help you that the class can function, which is a consideration at times for sure, but it's not gonna get you anywhere because it's it's a type of solution that's going to run dry rather quickly. So, um, it's also a solution which has very little chachma to it. It's a very simple, simplistic way to do that. You know, you don't have to go to school for that. You don't have to think about that much. It's the simplest way of you know. There's a problem here. So let's just get rid of it. I don't think our our view should be how do you how do you get rid of a problem by just sidelining it. Usually we have to sit down and try to think through what we could do with that child and 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 help them through it. Um, there, there, are, there are endless number of, of suggests that can happen, you know, depending on the situation. Um, however, there are going to be times where there are children that are so disruptive and need much, much more time-staking um, um, time, time staking, uh, interventions that you won't, you won't be possible to leave them in the classroom, even if you know what to do with him. But when you're running a class, not always is it possible. And there are some Rebbe that have special techniques that are able to do it. Yes, there are some, but for, for most probably, it becomes very, very problematic. There's no choice at which point you have to start thinking about alternate solutions and how you deal with a child that can't be in the classroom. But before we before we, we stamp him and label him, can't be in a the classroom, there's really plenty to do and plenty to explore.
1: Very, very last one. Okay, let's go to the live question. You're on.
3: Hi there. Um, so one thing that I noticed with my son was that he was staying where they didn't it it wasn't as much all the time the classroom it was also like for Shabbat it was very hard for him because it was very institutional and they didn't like go to the Rebbe's houses and they had to be somewhere at all times like and they didn't really relax and so he couldn't really enjoy Shabbos and so I think I don't know like there's probably lots of issues that aren't like that but um you know I think think that it's also important that the kids enjoy it on their own terms or be able to make some choices um, in order for them to to feel like it's for them you know because it's not that you know you want their kids to learn and everything but at some level you know they also have to buy into the system and so with the warmth of, of being in someone's house you know on Shabbos or making their own choices might might help and I, that's just a comment that I wanted to bring up I don't know if you have any comments on that. Yeah, no,
2: definitely choices um, is, 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 is an important thing. We have to realize that in a, in a system, um, if everybody makes their own choices, if every child will decide what time we should start class and each the next one will decide what we should learn today and how fast we should learn and, and how much we should learn, you don't have a school at that point. You just send them to the local shul and they could spend a the day there as they feel. Um, in terms of choices, I think the yeshivas definitely try to leave areas where the child can have some choices, but for the most part, during those years of yeshiva, the choices are less. Now, if a boy resents the, the, the situation, that's not so much a question of choices, because if, um, if the yeshiva is doing what they think is best for the child, and that's the type of system that this boy signed up to, like, I imagine he knew that this was the way it worked before he went there, so it wasn't a surprise. So if you know what you're getting yourself into, and then you, you you go there and take it, and then turn around and say, well, I want it to be run differently. It's like going to a hardware store and saying, why don't you sell milk? This is what we serve here. This is, what's, this is what's happening. And there are various types of yeshivas that a person can choose one that will work for him. Now, as far as the resenting, the lack of ability to make choices, I think, if I may, that if there was a warm Keshu with the Rebbe, this wouldn't be such an issue because he would understand and feel that the Rebbe directing him is really the best choice that he can make for himself, because the Rebbe means his best benefit, and the Rebbe knows a lot better than him what's really good for him. Um, But definitely, there could be areas of choice uh, in different places and so on, and um, it's important for Boyd to have that as well.
0: The child probably didn't choose to go to school. His parents took him there.
2: Uh, well, usually the parent that wants to give him choices will let them choose the school <laughs> because that's the first place to start with choices. I, I definitely think that to, to 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 it's significant for a boy when he's choosing the yeshiva to go to to be positive about the choice. I can't say that he has to be the only one to choose it obviously, um, but he should go with a positive feeling. If a boy goes to a yeshiva where he knows his parents forced him to go there and he didn't buy into it, a lot of times that creates a lot of issues, especially, this is a real issue, where the parent thinks the child is much more advanced, and the boy doesn't think I'm up to that level yet, and the father says, for well, my prestige, you need to be in a better place, and I'm really doing it for your good because I know you could do it. That could bring a lot of resentment, a lot of problems and sorrows that happen later on. So we have to really be honest with ourselves and that our children and what's really, really best for them, not thinking what's really going to be best for us.
1: Okay, let's go to the next slide question. You're
0: on. Hello, am I on? You're on. <laughs> okay, first of all, we'd like to thank Rav Usher and Coach for such great shiurim. It's really something else cut above the rest. i want like to thank you Rabbi Glassman for coming on tonight. Um, we have a
1: question like this. You really mentioned it in your introduction, but today not every bacher is an of bacher, And a lot of bachr try and they try very hard. And if you're not labeled to get into that of yeshiva, there's a lot of yush that's involved and people just, you see a lot of bacham flowing through the cracks and this and that. How do we explain or give over to our children that
5: even if you're not that al-bacher, there's nothing to feel bad about and you keep on going strong.
2: Uh, I I wanna correct the the first, Um, you you told me that not everybody's an al-bacher, I disagree. I don't think we put labels on bachra. I I don't think people should be uh, put into um, categories. It's not, um, it's not different quality meat. You know, you don't pay by the pound. It's, it's, you're talking about a human being that's an a shama, that that's the way they've made him. This whole idea that we're going to rate people and then classify them by their ratings and then treat them according to the classification. And then um, um, everybody else has to feel less than is, 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 is really a big, big problem. And I think that for starters, us as parents, we have to stop using that terminology and we have to stop even being much of that terminology. You're you and you're gonna be the best you can. If the parent really doesn't mind which yeshiva the boy goes to, then the boy won't mind it as much either. I can't say it, not at all, because in, in the classroom, they talk about it a lot. And halavai, that would be something that would be you know, changed in our system. And I think we're, we're talking about that, changing in the system, not to use the language, tapwacher. Aleph Bacher, Aleph Yeshiva, that we create a
1: label that tells you that if you're not this, you can't be anything. But the second so thing I know, is- last minute, I just want to clarify a little bit. The messias is, at the end of the day, we don't, we could use all the nice words and we could believe in our kids and this, but at the end of the day, if 10 of my Bacher in my class are going to brisk and I'm not going, the matthias is that I'm not brisk. I'm just- Correct, correct, correct. correct. But uh, I, 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 I'll get back to that in a second. We okay. also created the idea
2: that it's all or nothing. If I'm not in the aisle of yeshiva, then I'm a loser. I'm not a loser. <laughs> there, there are plenty of yeshivas, and there are yeshivas. The, the problem really comes is, if a boy is very weak academically, and he can't get into the, we'll call it the bays or Gimel, for lack of a better terminology, then it gets even more painful. So I think the for the, the, the starters, the, 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 um, the idea, that if a boy by, by eighth grade, by beginning of eighth grade, by seventh grade, he hasn't yet seen the light to be inspired to be this big Tamil Chacham. He's basically, we can write him off for life. That notion is so far off the mark, it's unbelievable. So what, the question is, what do you tell the parents? The question is what do you tell the children? The idea that if I go to a certain yeshiva, I'm guaranteed to be a certain level of Hatzlacha and success. And if I go to another yeshiva, I'm guaranteed a different level of success is a, a mistaken premise. It's a totally mistaken premise. There are plenty of boys that go to, we'll call it um, yeshiva B, and end up doing a lot better than boys from yeshiva A. There are plenty of boys that go to yeshiva A and end up doing a lot worse than boys in yeshiva B. To think that just because the label of I got in there, and now I can feel like I can walk around with the, with the, with the, with the medal that I'm this type of a boy, is gonna get us very far, is such a mistake. It's just, it's a a mistake. And a person has to know that your Hatzlach is where they're just gonna put you. And the, where you're going to, whichever yeshiva you're gonna end up in is the best one for you. And we have to implore that emuna as being true. Now, as far as from a social aspect, how do I face my, my friends if I didn't get in? It's gonna be the same if, if his friends are better athletes. It's gonna be the same if his friends are taller. It's going to be the same with his friends do, who knows what. He has to know that your future, the Abishnah can make you who you have to be regardless of where you end up. He has to understand that you can, wherever you're going to end up being, the Abishnah can make you come out a lot better. The Abishnah doesn't need that yeshiva to make you matzliach. It has to, we have to we're yidna. We believe B'amun that that's what it is. And with mela, the idea of years is ridiculous. And I think from the get-go, we tell the children, if you know he can't get to that place and it's not going to be for him, then don't make that an aspiration for you helping. And very, very many boys are much better off in a yeshiva that will cater to them more. A yeshiva where they'll be able to be the top rather than a yeshiva where they're going to have to struggle to be at the bottom. There's so many other factors that go into it for, for what's really going to make a difference for his life. And not so much on this little bit of a name that he has to be able to get over it in a short amount of time. I think that if we had the proper attitude to it and we give up that message from early on, which yeshiva you go to doesn't change who you are issue you get into doesn't define your value if we really believe that ourselves we built to give it over and then it will be a lot easier for the children to do it and you'll see in the families where the parents are really okay with it the children have a much easier time
1: that was beautiful okay let's go to the next live question you're on
5: okay thank you you could hear me yes okay great okay thank you robert glassman for addressing this important issue um i'm not sure that i have questions i think i have comments um, and I wanted to, hear, you know, to hear what you have to say about that. So I think before we solve anything, we have to identify the problem. I'm not sure what problem we're identifying today that we're trying to solve. Um, speaking for myself as a parent, um, with Bar Hashem, as a, you know, as a cloud, addressing those who are delayed very well, Bar Hashem, with all services that are available these days in most places, not all places, but wherever we can. Um, my issue as a parent, let's say, was what to do with kids who are too much. And I found that, you know, too smart, Baruch Hashem, above the average. And I found the problem for me as a parent is that there is no place for boys like that. Um, that they're being, you know, put into an average and they're being pushed into an average. And they're not this, you know, the smartness is not being encouraged, so to say. And what, um, what age are you referring to? Various, from five-year-old to 15-year-old.
2: And, and what do you see it being a problem?
5: Uh, what, what do you mean, where, in which age?
2: No. Oh, why is that such a problem? So he's with average. So he'll have time in his life to, 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 to get to bigger, better places. Who said that somebody who's smarter, that's in a class that's not so smart, suffers? So I'm say he doesn't, maybe I maybe
5: not have... Not maybe everyone, I hear your points. Not everybody suffers, but those who do suffer, those who do find it boring and don't wanna go because it's a waste of their life. Um, those who are bored bore and start misbehaving that creates problems, right? So it's not necessarily, for those who don't suffer, it's, it's nishkankasha, right? It's not a problem. There's no, We don't need a solution because it's not a problem.
2: Yeah, but even with those that are suffering, you have to be sure that their suffering is because of their um, academic abilities. That's really the reason why they're suffering. I know many, many smart boys <clears throat> that went through the system and did beautifully. They thought we were smarter. I think what we have to do with those children is, is supplement. I know very often I'll tell a parent, that, you know, just like for the delayed children, you have to get a tutor. The, the same thing, if your child is, a, is advanced, get him a tutor also. Learn extra Mishnah, learn extra Gemara, learn extracurricular stuff. There are things that can be done for children like that. But usually if a child is misbehaving because he's bright, which does happen. It definitely does happen. There are children that are bored that at least to misbehavior. And for them, the, the, just like we dealt with delayed children, we have to deal with them as well and get them the help that they need to be able to um, put their koichas where it is. But usually if there's something, it's because there's another aspect to it also, it's not just their abilities.
5: So exactly, wonderful. Thank you for saying this, because this brings me exactly to the next point. And the point being is that we as a Dun, I mean, where I live, uh, we do not allow this extracurricular activities and anything that kids do beyond Limud becomes a problem. And so, you know, it's even in the rules of the moistness, can't go there and can't do this, I can't do the third. So if that is the case, what happens we as, uh, and a prof- as a professional, so that was my p- problem as a parent, but as a professional, I'm seeing in kids in general, is that we do not le- uh, let them feel the success. Um, competitive, c- competitiveness is a natural part of us as humans. If we don't let them compete in other things, sports, whatever it is, right? What happens they compete, compete in limit and becomes a peer pressure. Oh, well, this is like we were just talking about, you know, Aleph boy and Aleph and Shiva and whatever it is. It's natural. It's not, not going to go anywhere. This is how Ebishter made us. If we don't let kids develop these other talents that Hashem gave, that we are sort of killing these talents. We're not letting them succeed. We don't let them taste this success and then spill it over onto other Areas where they can succeed, so that's a problem too. I see it as a problem.
2: It, it definitely could be a problem at times when when, a, when when someone has a talent that he doesn't have the ability to to allow it to grow. It could be painful. That's for sure. Um, in the in the in the question of how they, the different kahilas work and what they allow, what they don't allow, you know, there's always a reason why they don't allow something, and there's always a loss when you um, when you uh, pick one side of an extreme. It's gonna be a game, but there's always gonna be a price to pay for it. And obviously that's the price that's gonna come along with it. But a person as a parent has to try to be creative within the system to try to really be creative and figure out something that the children can do. Um, That's what it is.
0: Yeah. Okay, here's here's another question. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Thank you for addressing this issue. I'm sure many mothers like me are dealing with this. I live in a firm community where it's all about superficial Yiddishkeit. As long as you maintain your dress code and lifestyle, you can fake it and make it. This does not resonate with my kids who are very deep, sensitive, sensible nishamas, especially my 16 year old daughter who is much more authentic than that. She hates going to school, sitting through abstract Tashkarfas lessons that even the teacher can not relate to let alone the students and her classmates who fake it are appreciated by the principals and teachers. Her Midas Amis is causing her confusion. She happens to be uh, a Midas and hides her feelings towards the teachers and classmates, but she's bursting out of herself to me. As a parent, I try not to aggravate her against the Finnish system, while I try to show her compassion and understanding. How do I support her with strength to survive the schooling? And changing schools is not an option.
2: There's um, there's truth to the fact that um, at times there is a certain superficiality to, to the Yiddishkeit. However, for somebody to be seated in the classroom and feel like I'm busting and look down and judge everybody around them and look down at them because of their lack of authenticity is not a problem with the other people alone. We have to be able to have a toive ayam and be able to see in every bit of, of superficiality and every bit of learning which sounds like it's fake, there's some level of truth. It may not be to the level of truth that they want to say. You know, um, take all of us. We daven every single day. We believe we're talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and We get distracted in the middle. Are you gonna say that I'm superficial? Are you gonna say that I'm not davening? No, I'd like to daven. I'm trying hard. What should I do that the target a better end to me. So, when we look at people that are coming to school and they're learning and they're doing the best that they can and they're trying, we have to cut them some slack and give them credits. Feeling lofty, feeling holier than, feeling better than, and because of that, getting irritated by others is something that a person has to work on on their own. That have to be, able to be down the kafskos, that you have to be, able to be tolerate them, that have to be able to see the good in other people. Looking down at other people doesn't get anybody anywhere. And therefore, um, they have to be able to take it with a with a with a good eye to the others and go a step further. If a Baruch Hu gave somebody a bracha, that they're deeper. So then you can't take your mila and say that I'm better than everybody else because the Baruch Hu gave me a bracha. We're in galus, part and parcel of galus, especially the Meshikha is going to be where people are shallow, people are distant, people are fake. This is what the Hazal tell us it's gonna look like at this, t- at this time in history. There are gonna be those amongst the group that are gonna be luckier than the others. So feel pride and feel proud and feel lucky and see, to try to share it with the others. But to look down and feel like you're busting, that's your problem. That when we sit with other yidn, we should never get to the point that we can't stand them because they're not as good as I am. She just
0: find something that works for her whatever a teacher teaches should uh, resonate and be MS for her.
2: I imagine that with a teacher's teaching, she's saying over what Chazal say. So that's (laughs) MS. So even if the children can't incorporate it into their lives as of yet, or they're just taking notes and spitting it back on the test, let's say, but it's true. And some of it goes in. Some of it definitely goes in. And you never know when that stuff that goes in will come to help that person in their time of need in their time of messian, So I don't think it's fair to discount it. I think we could say that it's not as as, as as tremendous as we'd like it to be, but it's not, uh, not something to, to belittle or to make away with. And we're not mavin them on Yidin because who knows what each Yid thinks and how much how real they take it and how much is there. I don't think we have the, I don't think, I know we don't. We don't have the ability to understand who's who and who's what. And therefore we have to be able to look at them with a good eye, and accept them as people and, um, and, and be happy to be part of them.
6: Murray, and try,
2: try as hard as you can to actually be part of them. Otherwise, you're gonna alienate yourself. You have no friends. It'll take you to a
1: very, very bad place. Okay, you're on. Next live question, let's go. Let's cover her on.
5: I'm noticing um, as an educator and as a parent, I notice a disparity in education. There are different educational goals and standards for girls and boys. Um, that means how we teach them musar how we teach them Midos, Halacha. Um, I'm asking this question because parents have to deal with expectations, raising girls and boys, and they want to back their schools. And yet the expectations for the girls and the boys are different. And this also is a problem when Shidduch arrives, and we're supposed to match <coughs> these girls with these boys. If Rabbi Glassman could unify educational goals for schools so that the girls and the boys, their education seem to be in, more in sync. What would that look like?
2: The, the problem with education of girls and boys being in sync is that the, the, the education of the girls system is something which is relatively new. The Pisiaco system is barely uh, 89 years old. It was done at a time in history where there was um, trouble before that girls never went to school. So the whole idea of the girls' learning system is different than the boys' system intrinsically. The boys focus, the way the yeshiva system worked today, the boys' focus is on learning Gemara in and of itself, and they're hopeful that, the children, that they'll get everything else that they need from the Gemara itself. The girls can't learn Gemara. The girls have a lot more time on their hands. The girls are faced with different types of messianus. The girls are faced with different type of thing, and therefore their, their, their learning is focused on different areas. I think that a good girl and a good boy that each did their own systems are able to get married and have a wonderful connection and they complement each other and they move forward with that. If it's becoming if it's becoming an issue, then the issue is because one of the sides didn't do what they were supposed to, meaning he went to yeshiva, but he didn't really learn. So now, yeah, of course, the girl who did well in her system is going to be lacking for the boy who didn't do well in his system. So I'm not sure what you mean by we should put the two, they're two different chiyuvim, there's two different goals, there's two different enterprises of what they're both doing. The, the girls are, are learning life skills, really, and the boys are learning how to throw themselves into learning in just in learning. The type of learning doesn't allow for the other type of, of, of work. But if they both do what they're supposed to, or what they're expected to do, so to speak, throughout their system, they will both end up in a good place. And we see that, there are plenishaduchim that work beautifully. If it's not working, it's usually because one of the sites wasn't successful what they were supposed to do. I'll say one more thing, which maybe this is the underlying what you mean to say. It's easier to find a good girl than a good boy. <laughs> and a lot of the girls coming out of seminary are much more um, gung-ho and advanced and strong of, and, about their convictions than maybe some of the a lot of the boys coming out of the other system. And th- there may be some truth to that. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a boy is the is a lot stronger because he has a chiv to learn so automatically the yitzhar, um stands up against it much, much, much stronger and the demands that are made on them are much, much harder. They, they, they're they sitting in the yeshiva for many more years than a girl has to at maximum one year of seminary We're in but there for five, six years and therefore to maintain that level is hard for a longer period of time. There's a lot to say within the subject that make it not so simple to make them Congruent to each other. But having said that, um, uh, we're not changing the system. And therefore, we have to uh, just try to see that they should each be successful when they are, and then be able to mesh the two together when the time comes.
1: Okay, hey, Glassman, I want to jump on this quickly. I'm going to globalize it. Quite, quite a few things I just want to cover before we go to closing. Um, I was wondering what Robert Glassman's opinion is about, about boys in middle school detention or other form of punishment for being late for chakras. My son is approaching middle school and he's sweet, smart, wonderful boy, but he struggles with time management. The yeshiva he's in now is very strict policy in, in school, being on time for chakras and gives detention for lateness. I'm worried that he'll be continuously penalized for being late with, with possible, uh, this the his this ter- results. Any advice would be appreciated. So basically the question is, a boy's a good boy, this and that, and the Shiva gets a very maquran on a certain thing, whether it's a dress code, whether it's chakras, whether it's this and that, but the boy's a bad him a good boy. And he he... He's lagging in this mida, whatever it is. He likes to wear the sneakers that have the white stripe or he doesn't wear the jacket with the button or he runs always late. So what's the mahalach with dealing with that and device how to deal with that with the school and with the child right. So so again,
2: most schools will um, work with the, the parents. But before we get to the school to work with it right let's think of ourselves for a child to learn to be on time is a wonderful thing. It's a responsibility. It's a way of showing chashivas to something. It's, it's important for him to be able to do that. So why should we give up before we really give a chance? And we're already a year before he had a chance to do it. We're already trying to cushion the blow and see how we're going to get him, help him get out of it. Time management is a very, very important skill that a child needs to learn. And therefore, for starters, is there bedtime? Does he go to sleep on time at night? Um, can we make some arrangements to help him get up in the morning? Can we create some incentives? Can we do something? Now, I'm not gonna say that there are some children that mornings are murder for them. It's true. But before that, let's make sure that we really try everything else and didn't jump to that conclusion. Why are we having rahmanas for him before we gave him a chance to succeed? Why are we helping him opt out before he had a chance to, to um, try to make it make do, make do? There are many children that couldn't get up in the morning when they were in sixth grade, and then at seventh grade, they have to come to chakras, it's exciting, they go in the morning, they, you make a big deal out of it, it's a big ASIC, and they do it beautifully. Now, in the event that you feel that my child has this issue, it's impossible, we tried everything and it's not working, he just can't get there. I think if you go respectfully to the menal and say, we're trying, give me an aid, so we Can we work together, let's see what we can do. Usually there will be some level of, 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 of ability to work, to work with it, but um, Sometimes we're gonna to have to look at it and say, hey, this is, the system. this is the way the world comes. And sometimes in the world, there's no, there no free rise. And you have to just live up to what it is and take what it comes with it. And then tell them, so you're gonna to have to stay for detention, you know, detention is detention, and that's what it is. We can't um, get alarmed for something which, he, which is good for him in terms of his lessons. Even learning in terms of life that you have to take what comes you know, what comes my way, is also something to help a child be able to understand. I think a lot of it will depend on our attitude towards and our looking to solve it long before we look to give up for it. What's if it's what if his father gets up late? So you should stay for attention. <laughs> Maybe it's because his banal didn't do it. Maybe he did do it. I don't know which one. But um, if if it's a family situation, which is is, is often an issue, this is some level of you know lacking structures, so to speak. So that's gonna be part and parcel of this kid's Mosul when he came down to this world, that he's gonna to have to be in this kind of predicament. But um, let's try, let's let's not give up so fast. Let's not protect so fast. Let's build resilience rather than, than, than give in to um,
1: uh, something like that. A bunch of questions came in here that are not fear, but can I ask them to you anyway? Those are the best ones. Okay, here we go. So I don't, I don't know what you're gonna answer them, but here we go. I don't know either. Good luck. <laughs> Say a capital telling for you. Okay, first one. It's very hurtful for a financially struggling parent who applies for high schools for boys or girls. They don't seem to return the phone calls or even get accept the child. The children from more wealthier families get calls back, accepted much faster, with much more respect. While I have all my relatives who are abundant begging to get me in. What can you say about that? So so the first question is
2: the first the first part of the answer is why are you setting your mind so much that you need to get into that, Yeshiva? and you're creating an elite status that you have to live up to, number one. Number two is, from the money angle, is a very, very sore topic that people have a hard time with. But I want you to think about it from the, uh, the that the owner of the mosque is thinking to himself. I, I need to run a mosque I have a big budget. If I can't cover my budget, I can't have a mosque I can help a hundred children. I took in my 20, 30 children that don't have money. And now my mice won't be able to continue without it. When I'm taking in that fellow that has the money, what I'm doing really is I'm giving the ability to the whole hundred students to be able to to exist. They're looking at it because they can't live otherwise. They're not taking that money and going on a nice vacation. The mice aren't rolling, rolling in money. They're getting it from month to month to be able to make it work. So what they're doing is they're keeping themselves alive. It's not that they're respecting the money just for the sake of the money. Every maizade takes in a significant number of children that are not paying properly. No question in the world, every single mice. And every single mice took their share. When there are few slots that are left at the end, that's when they're gonna say, look for the money. Take any class in the older maizade, you're not gonna find a whole class of rich kids. I don't believe it. But yes, they're gonna be those that they take at the end simply because they need that for their survival. That's part of the, the way that it's gonna work. Now, you want to look at yourself, so why should my son have to lose because I wasn't a big wheel because Gesh didn't give me that money? Part of the reason of Gesh plan in your life and the child's life is that he should be in a family that's not that high roller. And don't get me wrong, having money is not always such a bracha. And plenty of the kids that come from families that have money have to suffer with many other issues that come along with having money. So therefore, it's a package deal. To look down at the yeshiva, you have to understand where they're coming from. Um, the and, and I think that if, if a person doesn't get into a place, he has to look at it that's a similar shemaim; he doesn't belong there. It's not the money that kept him out, it's the rebuttalishment that kept him out. And let's keep going back to that. Let's not create this, this this environment that if I don't get what I want and don't do what I want, then everything's gonna end up in the worst way, shape, or form. You don't know what's good for you. We don't know what yeshiva is good for my child. If my child doesn't get into a certain yeshiva, after Benj Goimel, Baruch Hashem, he didn't go to the wrong place. Because he didn't get in there, that's not the place he
1: belongs. Okay, here we go. Next one. You ready? last Glassman, you ready? Ready, know. here it comes. Why is that the mainstream yeshivas still don't see the yeshivas like Waterbury and others, which are struggling for teens and getting for struggling teens and getting more and more packed and crowded, and their yeshivas, which are for the mainstream boys, are struggling to keep boys in their yeshiva? Is Yiddishkeit only meant for mainstream boys? Are all others not cared about and fall through the cracks? They have made to feel as they're outcasts and don't have a place in our religion. How is this to come to be? How has the system failed for so many of our youth? This is not the Torah way. I always learned the Rebbe Pardoya Tano taught us Talmud, but didn't understand anything 400 times. This is not re- really Yiddishkeit by any standards. Teaching by example is not only about learning the material of the Gemara nonstop and nothing else counts. How about showing youth how to treat others, especially young kids? by example, and not being tough and threatening them all the time. So they have the tools to navigate very confusing and scary world out there. I'm not a Makanach, of course, just a parent who has gone through this system and sees how a boy who struggles in learning was treated and how much more can turn off a boy, especially when there's so many more temptations out there in the world. The last lot said, that. it wasn't just a question. It was, a. I
2: think that was somebody's life story, which, and you can hear the, the pain and the tears dripping from that letter. It's it's a very, very unfortunate feeling and phenomenon when something like that happens. And as painful as this to watch something like that happens, I don't think that that is something which is the shita or the the, the ideology or the the goal of any maizot. No one is looking to send kids halilah in in the wrong direction. The, The question on how to run a school or how to run a yeshiva where there are boys who need a Waterbury-style yeshiva in a regular mainstream yeshiva is very, very difficult. I'd like to ask how many people, and now don't don't, don't take the wrong way, Waterbury is a, a wonderful place. The people that run Waterbury at Sadiqim, I know them. I know many, many, many wonderful stories there are many boys that have gone there.
1: Rabbi Kalish, Rabbi Kalish is one of the, our, the, our biggest. Yes, yes, yes. He's There's no question he's it? That's not the Shiloh. They're, they're doing wonderful work, but,
2: if we would run a yeshiva, the regular mainstream yeshiva, the way we're dealing, the way it's run for boys that need that type of special, then you're gonna be hurting all the other boys that don't need that type of yeshiva. Meaning to say is that now, the only way you, you can have a, a stronger taina is if there's a boy who's a good regular, good kid, but he just can't academically achieve and he gets smashed because of his lack of academics, which is no fault of his own. That's even more painful, but in general, a lot of the children are not ready to, 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 to go through a regular yeshiva system, because the yeshiva system, which is by definition, the word system means you're working with a certain average or a certain direction. System means automatically that many people, almost everybody is going to get hurt. Because let's say most people are from zero to 100, and you, you make the system, let's say, between 60 and 80. So All those that are below 60 are getting hurt. All those that are above 80 are getting hurt. That's just a fact, like we spoke before. So a system by definition means that people are going to get hurt. Not to have a system, many more people will get hurt. The system that we have aspires to be a loving and caring system. No Rebbe will tell you, I don't love and care for my Talmud. It doesn't exist. They, They will tell you that they can't tolerate someone that's going to undermine them. They can't tolerate someone who can't possibly go along with the program. They can't tolerate something which is going to bring the other boys down. And I'll say more than that. Let's say a parent has a good boy. uh, When I say good, I mean academically advanced. And he's looking for a yeshiva. And he walks into a yeshiva, and he looks into the classroom. And there's one boy walking around the back. And then there's another boy that's sleeping. There's another boy playing with some kind of a gadget. And he turns to the Rebbe, this is your class? He says, yes. So then, where's the discipline? This boy's walking, that boy's head down. Well, you tell him, well, this boy's walking, has ADHD, and the his head down, is going through a little bit of a hard time at home. The boy that's that's playing with his gadgets, um, he's overly bright, so therefore, he doesn't give me his attention. What chances are that you're sending your child, you're sending your strong child to that yeshiva? I'm telling you that a parent that sees that walks away and sends somewhere else. No one will send their child that's definitely advanced to Waterbury, even though you want the Yiddishkeit and you want everything else that they're giving there, which is tremendous. The answer is, because, to be able to supply the needs of the the, 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 the one, like I said before, the, who has the child that wants to send the boy to this yeshiva, who has the advanced child, we need to create some kind of a system. Otherwise it's gonna, everything will fall apart. To teach Havaz Israel, absolutely. There's no question in the world, that's, that's the goal. And that's the dream of everybody. That some end up falling out, it's very, very painful. And, 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 and definitely the yeshivas have to try to be as sensitive as possible. And there's a lot of talk about this and the Rebellion definitely tried to go as much as they can. I think when we notice that it's not happening, it's when they feel that it's, it's undermining either because it's gonna have a bad impact on other children or it's gonna have an impact on the whole set, which can come down together. So the pain that's there is tremendous. If there's a specific rabbi that hurt a specific child, that's, 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 that's very painful. That there's a child that couldn't get into any yeshiva because that he ended up slipping off, that's a terrible, terrible feeling. But I think that today there are more and more moisters that are opening to try to be
1: able to supply for those children. And um, part of the xayra is that, that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. There's another question. There's another follow-up on this. What can we do to give our children the love of Yiddishkeit, even if they're struggling in school and learning? What can we do if, they, if they're just not good at it, What can we do just to give them that, yeah, that yeah, yummy, warm feeling, even though people- th- The same thing that you do for the boy who's doing well in yeshiva. It does no difference. If we
2: give off that Yiddishkeit is everything to us, and and and, and we, 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 we live our Yiddishkeit, those are messages that a child gets through um, through culture. He doesn't get those messages by being taught. It's something that, he, that, that go into him automatically. And giving over Yiddishkeit is is something that has to be um, learned from modeling, learned from experience. And um, there's plenty that the yeshiva offers about Yiddishkeit also that we have to make a big asic out of. And if we make a big deal out of it, the the children get get that feeling, that meaning. I will say that what the person probably means to ask is that if he's not in the top yeshiva, so to speak, where there's so much learning going on, so he's going to be with other children who are not learning so strongly, who are academically challenged, and it's more likely for children that are academically challenged to end up uh, you know, with the technology stuff and with the other th- exploration of the rest of the world. And then he gets drawn along with that. And then the Yiddish guy ends up getting tainted and, and dulled because of that. That's a real, real issue. That's a real issue that I don't think we really have a good solution for. That is a real
1: issue. Marudik, Rabbi Marudik. Okay, last live question of the night, then we got one more, and then we'll go to closing. Go, you're on. You hear me? Loud and clear. Yes.
6: Yeah. Okay. So I'm married for a short while, and I went to what's considered an open-minded high school and a seminary that's considered more right-wing. Like one, second one second, um, one, second, so one whether... second,
1: one second, one second, one second, one second. Slow down. Slow, slow. Start again. Sorry. <laughs>
6: um. So I went to an open-minded high school and a seminary that's considered more right-wing. And whether the teachers were far removed from reality or delusional is not my call to make. But I definitely heard some fanatic statements throughout the year. Whether the teachers saying that certain things are austere that totally aren't, or you know, bringing merely Hashkatha conversations into halakha, um. As the product of like, you know, judgmentalism and superficiality, for example, a certain length, of a certain type of shape, wearing a hat and jacket, not wearing a hat and jacket, what type of boys are like, you know, the ideal boys to be looking for, you know, when a shut um, what type of boy is from, you know, than, than not. Um, certain styles or music that are very much Ruach HaTorah and not things that should be taught as black and white and I'm lucky that I was able to filter out and take the best of what I heard to become the person I wanted and the reaction I got at home wasn't, you know, what I think is ideal. I got attacked by parents, I got attacked by peers um, as, you know, being brainwashed, being fanatic, etc. But because I'm not the only person who experienced this, there's obviously many teachers who say things that you know I, as a parent, wouldn't want. Wouldn't know how to react if my child came home, because I'm not someone who wants to you know undermine authority and you know make a very big clear, um, you know, rebbe student teacher student disconnect and make like you know I don't respect the rebbe and the kid you know gets ends up being confused. My question is what's the appropriate response as a parent who wants to maintain the teacher-student respect while teaching their child to challenge things that don't make sense to them and be respectful for that growing person. You know, like certain things like, yeah, my teacher said that this is us sir, so why, why do we do it? Or, or why, why do you wear this if my teacher said it's us or it's totally not. And the focus is just, you know, off. So in
1: general, Glassman, can you clarify the question for everybody? Because I'm having a hard time. Can you clarify it? I, I, th- I think the question is if I, if I got it right, you'll tell me is that
2: a lot of times, especially in seminary, the the messages are given over in somewhat of an extreme format. And um, it was listed as fanatical statements or mixing Hashkaf with halacha adding judgmentalism to it. And then the child comes home to, to their house and they see, hey, my parents aren't really doing what my teacher said is, is adamant basics. And uh, the parents say, well, we go with a different sheet, so to speak, and we're, we're, we're comfortable where we are. And um, at the same time, we want to say that your teachers make up stories. Is that right? Did I, did I repeat the question correctly? Okay. So, so I, I think in general, when it comes to these areas, um, everybody judges, draws their own lines, so to speak. We think that anybody who's more from than me, that's sugar from, that's like fanatic. That's, uh, that's too much. Anybody who's less than me, no, that's bummy. That's that's not where I, that, that's not what should be. And everybody draws their lines. So the teacher draws their lines somewhere, the seminary draws their lines somewhere. And the, the, the you know parents of different backgrounds and different places in life at that time, would draw their lines differently. Ultimately, most children hear what they hear in school and most parents don't mind if their children want to be better than they are, if it's for good reason. Meaning, we understand that there are, is, is, is a, the examples you gave. There's a shape at a certain length and a shape at a different length. There The rabbinu have given speeches and drushes about length lengths, and they definitely encouraged a shorter length rather than a longer length. So if someone is going to say that we hold the longer length is better, you're not saying that it's better. You're saying you don't want to aspire to that level because you look at that level as something extreme. Somebody else doesn't look at that level as something extreme. So the question is, do we have to dictate to our children that they have to stay at the level that we chose for ourselves? Or do we allow them choices, like we said before, that they can choose on their own for what they want? So I think, in general, we have to talk about what they teach about in school as respectful. We have to talk about it as various levels. And everybody's going to pick a level for themselves. And we can say that we picked a level that fits for us and allow our children to pick a level that's going to work for them. Um, I don't think we have to be afraid that our children are being better than we are. I think ultimately, in the long run, we'll be very happy. However, if you feel that your child is choosing something above your level or above her own level, and she's gonna regret it in a short amount of time, or she's not gonna live up to it, and because of that, it's gonna backfire. So at that point, I think you wanna encourage them either to discuss it with somebody with a machaneches from school, or you wanna tell them to take it slowly, and to um, recognize it as a level, and not something that has to be jumped to in one second, but something that they, can, they can aspire to get up to that point. But if it's coming from a healthy perspective and it's, it's comfortable and that's their decision, I don't think we should stifle our children to say that they can't be better than we are. Is that okay?
0: Okay, we'll go to the last question over here. This somebody sent in um, that they personally suffered from was that one of the kids went to a specific school they had to go to that school. And then uh, my first daughter went to a great high school. It was good for her, but my second daughter was smarter and we wanted to send her to a different high school. They refused to take her since her older sister was in the other school. At the same time, a girl from the same grade, which failed most of the classes, was accepted just because her sister, her older sister wasn't that school. So the question is, who made up this concept and how can we help schools realize that each student is an individual and not take it as a family just because your sister came to the school? So we'll accept your next sister. But if your sister didn't come, so we're not accepting the next sister.
2: I, 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 I'll be honest, I didn't hear this rule exactly. And I'm not sure the reason why the schools do that is it from a financial perspective, like
1: a. You have to be part. of I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't understand the question because I don't know. The question is in certain places. I'm not going to say names. demand of schools. The way the school system is set up is that if you were in the school, your siblings are accepted in school. If you're not, not so. It could be a child that really belongs in a much better school won't get into the school because you already belong to that school A. Eh? But what wh- but why don't you want to send your, if you if you if the school was nice enough to take your child that was weaker, why don't you want to send them your stronger students? Do you understand? Because it's not only a stronger student, the better. Some schools are just better for certain kids and some kids are not. So you have one kid that's struggling and needs to- uh, So again, again I'm, I'm not sure who made the rule. I'm not sure what the reason behind the rule is. It's a little
2: bit hard for me to answer. But I imagine that there's, there's some cheshment to it in, 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 maybe from financial perspective, way or whatever it is. But I don't think that we have to be- the, the part that bothers me from the question is the fact that somebody else got in as a problem. Happy, good for them. Like, 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 why do we have to look at this as, 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 as a status piece? How much of a difference does it really make as to which school you go to? All schools are good, and we're told that it's within range, and that they're, they're, they're giving over good stuff and so on and so forth. So th- she'll turn out just fine in the other school as well. And the fact that other children got in there that didn't deserve it, it's good for them. But maybe now that school's a weaker school, they took the, the weaker students in, so what's the problem? I don't think we should turn schools into, into value. That was my. I made it or didn't make it. Should depend on my school. It depends on who I am.
1: Okay, let's do one more question. Then we to go to closing. I just want to get into this question. How can the schools be more equipped with suggesting to us to get proper help and guidance for a child who's struggling in the mainstream before it's too late? What, what advice can i gives give? I guess, for the for the the schools. Right? Some schools are very. I, there are schools most, that are much most
2: most menahalim and principals when they have to make a phone call to a parent and tell them that your child needs help they do it with trepidation because they're ready for the parent to tell them, my kid? All the years he was doing fine. They used to, ready to hear that it's going to be thrown back on them. And therefore, they're hesitant to say that there's a problem very often simply because they don't want their own backlash because it's going to reflect badly on them that they weren't able to be mechana the students. If we give the school the understanding, I see my child, I see he's struggling, I see he has his issue, I'm here to help, can you just give me a, a, a real honest evaluation of what's going on in school, so that I could I could be able to to help him? I think um, you'll get you'll get response. But like we asked before who's the one that's responsible—the parent, the child, or the school? In this in this aspect, when the child needs help, the one who's most responsible is the parent. The child you can't blame because he's the one that needs the help. The school you can't blame because they've got so many children they have to deal with. The parent is the one that takes, that, that takes in because he's got his only few children, he hasn't had the few hundred at the school. And at that point, when you notice your child is struggling, be proactive, go into this shiva. tell the Rebbe, tell the Manal, I see my child has a problem, I know it's nothing to do with you, it's my problem. I'm taking the ownership of the problem. I'm here to solve the problem.
1: Tell me what is it about that you see and what is it that I can do that could be helpful? Dick Rabbi Glassman, tonight's share was off the charts. Tremendous feedback. Okay, let's go to closing, and uh, we're gonna have, we have we're gonna have a surprise. Well, yeah, we didn't. I'm sorry for all the people the questions we didn't get. Don't worry, Rabbi Glassman, we'll come back every single Sunday and answer your questions, no problem. So, uh, sorry for all the people that we didn't get to. Okay, let's go to closing, and we have one surprise person that wants to say a story, and then we'll uh, go to that. First of all, good much for Glassman coming on tonight, giving the so much physics, device advice, it I love the way he took all angles and also explaining the moist side, and you know how it looks. I thought it was a tremendous eye-opening thing. Um, again, tonight's show we're learning from Menashe Chanukh Ben Reizel Shlamas for success in every endeavor, Beruches of Gashmias, Nafush health for Shandel Sarabas Mir Mivka. Again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, uh, the, the, the the flyers every week, just text me at 848-525-0066 and say my number, and um, I'll send you the flyer every Sunday. Again, the first, the, if anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, we have another Maridah Kashir with either a Rav, a therapist, something. Um, next Sunday, we're going to have the, Twir- the Twersky, uh, Twersky brothers. It's going to be amazing share. The one first, for hope we met from Twersky from Muncie, and Mordechai Twersky from London. Hopefully, we get them together. Two Twerskis in a room. I hope, to, hope Zoom can handle it. It should be pretty amazing. We're going to be talking about bringing warmth and love back into Yiddish for our children and giving them a deep chinuch. It should be an amazing program and powerful. So please, everybody, come and join and uh, tonight's share is going to be all on the uh, Menachem Bernfeld's website at MenachemBernfeld.com. If you have any questions at all, please send it to CoachMenachem at gmail.com. We'll forward to, to Rabbi Glassman any questions for him. Hashem, hopefully, when he has time, he can respond to some of them. Tonight's share is shear number 80. We're up to 80. Um, if anyone wants to listen to it on the phone, it'll be available tomorrow on our personal phone line, on our special phone line, 848 777 GROW. I'd to the liquid scoop. Thank you to Rabbi Anif Khazak. Special thank you to Kyla Kalfel and Shmuel Sommer from JCN and from always promoting us on all the digital platforms. Also, to the Coach Menachem shows collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links will be emailed after this year. We're first going to hear closing words from Coach Menachem, and then we're going to hear from our behind the scenes director, Arno Yechfried, who runs the whole show. From 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 underground in a tunnel, he's gonna give a little closing statement, and then Rabbi Glassman. Okay, Coach thank, you, thank you,
0: thank you very much, Rabbi Glassman. And uh, I'm sure many can take take away practical things. And one thing that I'm I'm thinking about is the open communication is whether it's the parents with the moistus and the relationship with you and your child. Obviously, if you have to start when they're struggling, it can be a little harder but the, the open communication, the open relationship that you have with your child. And the, the most important one is the open communication with yourself, the self-awareness of what's going on inside of yourself when these struggles come up and how you take it and your approach, how you're going to talk to them, what, what you do like, what you don't like. And sometimes you have the things that you wouldn't want to do, but it's better for the child, which is very important. And the last thing is, Every day you get up in the morning, you have to say it, filler and daven and daven and daven because without that, like we heard, everything is everything is from Hashem, and whichever school he goes to, and whatever happens, we're only doing our shtadless. So, to keep on davening and amidst Hashem, we should be able to see in all our kids, um, easy in an easy way not to go through uh these struggles.
1: Arnoyach, Freed, let's hear. Let's go. Some closing. Freed, I'm mute.
7: Okay, do you hear me?
1: Yes, we do. Let's go.
7: All right. Several years ago, before I sent my oldest son to Masifta, since I was in Novominska Talmud, I went to speak to Avminsk Rebbe the Rachel. And before I went to speak to him, I had a whole rishima, a whole list of various yeshivas that I looked into. I live in Lakewood. So Bar Hashem Lakewood is a can I a lot of Mesifthus. I had a number of Masiftis which I had in mind for my son, with different and different chesoners, which I thought about the various Mesifthus. So I went into the Rebbe Zuchon Roche, and I started discussing with him the different names of the Mesifthus, and different mailers, and different chesoners. The, and I was sure the Rebbe was going to guide me, which, which Masifta my son should go to. But, not, but the Rebbe instead stopped me in my tracks. And he told me, you're getting carried away. He said, let me tell you a cloud. A Masifta, which could be the best Masifta for a certain bacher could be the worst Masifta for a different bacher, And a Masifta, which is the worst Masifta for a certain bacher could be the best Masifta for, for another bacher. So I stood there, I said, okay, I understand, but which Mesifte should I send my son to? He said, which Mesifte you should send your son to? Do yourself a favor and go right now to the and stay a few Kepit tillim and have in mind that the avish should guard you, that your son should go to the right Misifta. Whichever Mesifte he's going to go to, he's going to be Matzliachim HaTz Hashem. So I did as he told me. I went into Bishmash and I said, which I several Kepit the next day, a neighbor of mine called me up and directed me to a certain mesivta, which I didn't think about beforehand. And Baruch Hashem, my son went there and it was very stark oh,
1: Wow, it's a beautiful story. Okay, Rabbi Glassman, please leave us with the Leave us, with, you know, to go with such a, such a powerful topic tonight, and was so beautiful. Let's leave it with the with a positive note. Okay, so
2: ultimately, back to where we started. We said that in order to be able to be successful in this endeavor, we need to be able to deal with the pain and soothe it so that we get our seichel back, that we get our ability to see straight, to think straight and to be able to act accordingly, especially at a time and place where we need our our sharpest um, minds to be able to know what to do with these very, very, very intricate, difficult situations. So ultimately we have to realize that everything is sharing. Children that are born into a system in 2021 is when we don't choose something, we have to realize that we're not guilty. If my child was born with difficult academic challenges, living in a certain neighborhood where only elite can get into certain places, and because of that, he wasn't, he wasn't so matzliach, that's part of what was destined for him before he came down to this world. It was destined how much he'll weigh and how tall he'll be and how much how much, um, success he'll have in his business one day. And this is part of it. Ayat tzatzara, we have to look at it, that's the decision we were given. We weren't given a child that's going to be easy. We look at other people that have easy children. That's what they came down to this world for. Some people have money, some people have children, some people have shidduch, some people have different things. Everybody, everybody has to struggle with something. No one can hold your child back from his hatzlach. Not if you don't have money, he didn't get in somewhere. Not if because um, he's, he's weak academically. If has a shalom, a child gets lost from the system. We have to understand that that was a gzera that was put onto him. Before he came down to this world, obviously, is that an excuse for the hanhala? Because they have to do their achrayas. I'll show you a raya where you find this in chassal. But it's an, it's something we have to understand. It's something we did. It's not something that was done to him. This is part of what what's the xayra that was when somebody came down here. There's a mitzvah of the torah that a person has to put a maka has to put a fence a gate around his roof. And the torah says the reason for it is because somebody else may w- walk up to the roof and he'll fall down and die. Now, what does a person think if I didn't put a mica up, I didn't put a gate around my, my, my roof, and somebody walked off the roof and died? I would look at myself as being responsible. The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says, The faller will fall. And Rashi explains, you should know that whoever fell was meant to fall. He's meant to fall. He wasn't meant to fall from when I did it. So what's the taina to me? The title to me is, why did you not put up a gate? Not, why did you kill the person? The person was supposed to die. It's your fault that it came through you. I think if we look at it, understanding is as follows. What this child went through, he had to go through. He had to end up wherever he ended up. He had to go through and be wherever he is. The suffering that comes along with it, that's part of the seriousness that we have today. If he has the hardest sign, the emotional health that we deal with, the weaknesses, the shallowness, everything we discuss. That's all part of the study that he was given. This is the picture of what of the Meshichah looks like. Don't minimize the success that's out there. It's true the, 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 the system has a lot of problems. But Baruch Hashem, there are batimidrashim that are full, knocking away. There are yeshivas that the boys are learning nonstop. There are kayolim that are doing unbelievable. There are baalbatim that are taking on new initiatives and in learning and old Meshiorim. There's so much coming on, going out. All that is a product of the system also. The parts that are not is the Hester Panem that that put at this time that we live in. Let's not be fools to think we can change the system. Let's not relieve ourselves by bashing the system. Let's not get upset and lose our seichel by being angry at the system. Let's learn how to navigate through the system with as much happiness, as much creativity, as much ashtavos that we can do, and mainly with the tefillah on Ashir, which is the real and the only that we can do to make sure that we're doing we're not ruining it and we're down at this Hu to help us make the best
1: So, last one give, give everybody a, a for, the, for, for raising the children a if you came on to this show tonight it's because you care about your children and if you care about your
2: children then that itself shows that the devotion shows you looking for answers this wasn't entertainment this was um I guess introspection and thought and so on Maybe help in helping that the eshtavos and the rots that we have and the tefilas that we make should should be the rots. And have in mind, not just for your own children, but for the Ganskala So you're not for somebody else,
1: then you're in a tefilah. Amen. Amen. Sunday night, November 21st. Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Ankel Tversky, Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Take care. All the best.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small Monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and will be greatly appreciated thank you in advance